0: Welcome to Vineyard Hopkinton. As we follow Jesus together, we experience the Holy Spirit, create a multicultural community, and pursue kingdom of God justice. So I came across, you know, we we're connecting about small groups. I came across an article about small groups in the most unlikely place this week uh, on The Ringer, which is a sports writing website, not where you would ever expect to hear like a good thing about small groups in church. Uh, but this guy named Jonathan Sharks uh, is a sports writer there, and he wrote about church and small groups and the fact that he has stage four cancer. And So let me read what he said here. He said, "I was nervous the first time that I went to a life group. I joined the church the week before, and one of the pastors invited me. That's the way to get them to show up. If it's your first week, I'm coming for you." No, uh, it was a smaller group of people who met at his house every week. I remember walking up to the door and not knowing what to expect. There were a dozen people in the living room talking, and I didn't know any of them besides the pastor. And I didn't know what to do, so I did what most people do: I headed to the table with snacks. It's always a safe spot. Eventually, the chatter died down, and everybody sat in a circle, and they introduced themselves with an icebreaker, something about their favorite TV show or their favorite snack, and I was thinking, either I'm supposed to say I'm an alcoholic, or this is a cult. Uh, That's a common response. Uh, But nothing that exciting happened. They sang a few songs, talked about the Bible, and then at the end, everybody paired off to pray for each other, and the pastor asked me what I thought of the group. And then he asked if I would come back. I said, yeah, I guess, but I wasn't sure. That was seven years ago. Some of those strangers from the house that first night are my closest friends. But it didn't happen overnight. It took me a long time to feel comfortable. I usually came after the life group had already started and left as soon as it was over. But I was seeing the same people every week, telling them about my problems, and they were telling me about theirs. Do that for long enough and you become friends. You get to know enough people that way and it goes from being an obligation to something you look forward to. Making the commitment to come every week is still hard. There's always other things to do. Sometimes you're tired or you just don't feel like it. It gets even harder once you get married and have kids. Nor are the people always easy to deal with. You may not have a lot in common. You have to search for things to talk about. You can be vulnerable with people and they don't respond how you would expect. All of those things are very true, as you would find out. And you certainly won't always agree with them on how they see the world. But I can't imagine not being in a life group at this point in my life. Human beings aren't supposed to go through life as faces in a crowd. It's like the song from Cheers. Sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name. When you get sick, people talk a lot about medical insurance and life insurance. But relational insurance is far more important. I find his take on community hugely attractive and true and super countercultural, right? Everything that he just said that we should be looking for in community feels different than what we're taught in in society that we should be looking for in community. Difference, you know, strangeness, awkwardness. We're supposed to avoid all those things, right? That's, That's what we're taught. But we can all come to the same spot that he's at by engaging in community. And it's this journey where we learn that personal preferences and uh, convenience are not actually as important as being known and being loved by people who know what's going on in our lives. It's this move from me to we. It's a move that I think Jesus is inviting all of us to take. You know, I was thinking this week about how I'm doing? I did a little self-reflection on me when it comes to we over this week. You know, how am I doing socially and like friendship-wise and in community? And and can I can I share a little bit, or is that too 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 much for you? It's good. Uh, so I realized, you know, I've spent a lot of my like introspective personal time this summer, kind of grieving the loss of friendships. Like I don't maybe some of you could relate to this, but I realized I was like. The past couple of years, for obvious reasons, I haven't tried as hard relationally because you can't go to people's houses. You can't go hang out with them. Like I remember one time Ross and I went and got uh, dinner at the beginning, like towards the beginning of COVID and we were like sitting cross from each other at a table at a restaurant trying not to breathe on each other. I mean, it's awkward, right? You're not sure what to do. Like it was uncomfortable to do. And like, I've lived uh, away from where most of my lifelong friends have been uh, for about a decade. And so those relationships have pulled apart a bit, which is kind of normal, but still sad. And so I've been grieving the loss of some of those relationships. Maybe some of you could relate to that. And then there's church. And can I say maybe the most awkward thing that you'll ever hear a pastor say about church? Is Is that allowed? Here you go. You're welcome ahead of time. Uh, there was a Sunday this summer where Sarah and I were not supposed to be here. We, weren't, we didn't have a job. We had, we had planned to go away. And then those plans fell apart. And so, you know what I did? I spent the whole week trying to come up with an excuse to not go to church. <laughs> this is true story, like real lifetime. And it had nothing to do with you. It was all to do with me and not wanting to put forth the relational effort to engage. Can you relate to that? Have you ever come to a week where you're like, I just don't want to try. It'd be easier if I was just by myself at home. I can watch it online without ever having to have a conversation with another person. Have you been there? I was one week this summer, so you can feel a little bit easier about yourself, I guess. You know, this is real life. Relationships take effort. They take work from us if they're going to go well. Uh, And sometimes I don't feel like I have the effort, but I've learned, maybe you have too, that if I don't put out the effort, I'm going to regret it later on. Like I always regret it when i look back and i'm like man i should have gone and hung out i should have done this thing like now i'm feeling lonely and like what you know like i've learned it's worth it to take those steps and to engage with other people there's this impulse in me and many of us to move from we to me to do the opposite but i don't think that that's actually what god's best is for us And so we're going to start a series today uh, where we're talking about community and church and relationships over the next couple of months. And I think it's going to be really good as we talk about how we can rebuild this part of our life. We're going to do it by looking at the book of Acts. Acts is where the church is formed, where it's built, where it's grown. It's not a template for how we're supposed to do church, but it is a helpful launching point for what community looks like when we're doing it the way that Jesus invites us to do it. And my prayer for us is that we see over the next couple of months the ways that we've disengaged and that we respond by re-engaging that we see the ways that maybe communal life has been torn down and that we take steps to rebuild that in our lives the way that Jesus wants us to so let me pray for us let me pray for us as we start this journey as groups start uh, for this to be a season where we're known and where we're loved and where we put forth the energy that we need to be able to do this well so let's pray Jesus, I just thank you for this community. I thank you for uh, relationships that were just uh, maybe just being started. People that met each other for the first time just now. God, I pray for the small groups that are going to be going on this summer. Sorry, this fall. Uh, For people to really connect uh, and uh, really grow close together in that awkward way that happens in church when we share life together and when we're willing to get a little vulnerable and share what it is that's going on. I pray for you to be working in the various homes that we're meeting at and here at the church and online and all the different spaces. And Jesus, I do just pray for any of us who look at our relational reality with some sadness today. God, I pray for you to speak life into that. The places that we're grieving, I pray for you to give us hope. Uh, The places that we're not sure we have the energy for you to give us the effort, the energy that we need to be able to take those steps towards each other. And I pray for this just to be a really fruitful season of growing towards each other and towards you together. Thank you that your plan is for us as the church to be doing life together with you. Help us to live that out. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's talk about digital for a minute, if I can. Sherry Turkle uh, said that digital community brings with it a risk that we come to see others as objects to be accessed for the parts that we find useful, comforting, and amusing. And if you don't believe her, just watch this commercial this morning when I went to the supermarket I finally found the pet aisle so I start walking down the pet aisle cats you know they're seniors now I got them when they were two and three but they're now 12 and 13 so And I had to buy a chicken. I checked the date, and it was like a month ahead. So I thought, okay, there was a long Welcome to Facebook Home, a whole new experience for your phone pretty hilarious right except for the part that pokes at us really hard because it's so true in some ways i mean think about the message that that they're putting out there right in that that sometimes in community it's too awkward the people you're around are too uncomfortable too boring and so you need to escape and when you want to escape go on facebook where everybody does fun things all the time whenever you want them easily accessed that is the story that we are being told right there like that is exactly what they're trying to sell to us you know around the time that that commercial came out from facebook uh mark zuckerberg uh said he he uh gave a a little bit of a, a speech and he said that he wanted facebook to be the new church and what he meant was that it would strengthen the social fabric of society and bring the world together. So essentially, he wanted it to do what he thought church was here to do. Now, I would disagree. That is not all that church is about. But from his perspective, as somebody who doesn't go to church, okay, fine. That's what he thinks. Now, Many people disagreed with him when he said this, including uh, a journalist named Peter Ormerod. And he wrote this editorial, and he said this, Churches at their best bring us into contact with people we would never think of as friends. It's a place of breaking down barriers, of being aware of mutual responsibility and dependence, a celebration of brokenness, and I would add, and healing, It's an unsanitized experience of humanity and all the healthier for it. An unsanitized experience of humanity. We need more unsanitized experiences of humanity in our culture today. Real lived out community with real people is not usually going to fit with your ideals. That's just the reality. It's not going to be perfect. It's going to be messy. Yes, there's probably going to be somebody talking about three-day-old chicken, and you're like, I just want to leave the room right now. But that's life with each other. Like, sometimes it's boring. Sometimes it's messy. It's not ideal. But that's good. Because we were created for non-ideal community. That's the way God made us. Now, this may sound backwards or upside down, and I would say good. I'm glad that it does. Because you see, the the message of Jesus, the message of the kingdom of God is always upside down and backwards compared to our, you know, experience in culture. Like, that's a normative thing for us that what Jesus says seems different, seems a little off from what it is that everybody else is telling us. It's different from our cultural norms. You know, like you look at this historically and people have said that, you know, the upside down kingdom, how is that shown? Well, it's shown with like women being given roles of leadership in mostly patriarchal and male-dominated societies. It's shown in the poor and the enslaved being given a place at the Table being given dignity sometimes when they 're sitting right next to the people who actually own them it 's shown in uh, the the breaking down of uh, of ethnic and racial uh, boundaries, sometimes in societies where religion is like intimately tied with your ethnic background and I would say yes, like historically those are all all ways that we've We've seen the kingdom to be backwards from our culture in really good ways. But I think that sometimes we look at those things and we're like, see, we did it. 2022, we broke all those barriers. You know, pat ourselves on the back. We've made it, guys. I would say not so fast. Because the kingdom should be upside down in every time. And in every culture, we should feel the rub of following Jesus all the time. It's never going to fit perfectly within any society or any cultural norms. So what does that look like when it comes to how we do community? Let me, let me throw out a few things that may feel upside down, and yet I think are what Jesus wants us to do. You know, one is that culture today values digital easiness and shallow interactions that's basically what that commercial just told us right but the kingdom values relational depth that's found in living life together face to face which is anything but easy our culture values comfort and the kingdom values maturity which never comes by being comfortable Culture values an echo chamber algorithm where everybody believes what I believe and says what I want them to say. But the kingdom values a diversity of opinions and experiences and personalities because that's how God created us. Are you feeling the rub a little bit? That's the reality of the kingdom, that it is going to push against our comfort. There's this really good book I've been reading called Analog Church by J. Kim, and, and he said, in the digital age, one of the most upside down things the church can offer is the invitation to come out of hiding from behind our digital walls, to bridge our technological divides, and to be human with one another in the truest sense, gathering together to be changed and transformed in real time, in real space and in real ways gathering together to be changed and transformed that's what church is all about and so i want to read from acts chapter 2 as we see the earliest of early churches being formed and see the activities that went into how they did life together so acts two forty-two. if you want to read along with me All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. And a deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and they shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all people. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Right before this, in verse 37, the the crowd asked Peter and the other disciples they said brothers what should we do peter had just given this great sermon uh about who jesus was and what he had came to do and how that changed everything and so they said what are we supposed to do and peter replied and he said repent of your sins turn to jesus be baptized and then receive the gift of the holy spirit and at that moment 3000 people said yes to jesus And the church went from 120 people in an upper room, quietly like unsure of what to do, to 3,120 people who couldn't fit in one room, who were spread out across the city and who everybody was watching all the time. Everything changed. And in that moment, the question went from me to we. Literally, look at it. In those verses I just read, 10 times they used the word they, them, their, or all. 10 times it's not i it's not what i did or how i'm doing things it's we the, the conversation changed instantaneously from that moment it went from what should i do to how do we live together in that moment because following jesus has always been done in community And so Acts chapter 2 lays out some foundational, I would say, incarnational actions that the church uh, can live into as followers of Jesus. And we're going to talk about many of these over the next few weeks, the next couple of months. But today, I just want to focus on the first two. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. So let's talk about this. Let's talk about the apostles' teaching. So who were the apostles? Well, they were the disciples, and then they got a title. They got a, they got a pay raise from zero to five cents an hour or something. I mean, it wasn't very much. They went from paying Jesus' salary to getting their own salary. That's probably what it was. Uh, but they went from being the people who followed Jesus for three years to being the leaders of the church. They were the ones who taught the church what they were supposed to believe and who Jesus was and and what he was up to in their world and what he was calling them to. They were the ones that everybody in that 3,120 person church plus the extra people were getting added daily that they would look to and ask like how should we live? What is life supposed to look like? They're the people that they would listen to even when they disagreed with them. Even when they didn't like what it was that they were saying, they acknowledged their leadership over their lives because they knew them and they were known by them. And I think all of that is really, really important. You know, we have access to so much knowledge and teaching today, right? You know, we can hear from literally anybody that we want to, like any time of the day through books, podcasts, YouTube, live streams, all of these things, and that's great, really good, and I appreciate it because I get to learn from people that I don't have a relationship with, and that's really helpful sometimes. But you knew that that was coming, right? You knew there was a but in there. I am worried that in our disconnected from community, echo chamber, easy is the best way culture. That we've given people that we don't live life with authority over our lives, leadership over our lives in ways that is not actually what God has for us. I'm worried that we've said to people we've never met you're my my guru, you're my teacher, you're my apostle, so to speak, without allowing them to know your life, without living life with them. I don't say this to reinforce my own voice, although it may sound like that. Uh, Not really what I'm going at. What I want to reinforce is that I think that God's best is for us to learn how to live out God's word with people that we're actually in community with. People who know us. People who speak truth and love into our lives because they know our stories. Because they know what it is that we're going through. And they can speak into our exact situation with truth and love that comes from God's word and from living life together. I think that's what God's best is learn from whoever. That's great. But don't allow the main voices in your life to be people that you've never met. That's not what God's best is for us. So let's talk about fellowship. Fellowship is not just, uh, if you've been around the church for a while, the name of a room that's blandly decorated, that has coffee and donuts that you go and stand in for a few minutes after the service. Uh, Although that's where I've seen it the most in my life. That's not actually what fellowship uh, is only. Uh, Fellowship implies shared life. The Greek word here is, is koinonia that's used. And koinonia means an intimate bond of fellowship which unites Christians with God. An intimate bond of fellowship, which unites Christians with God. Just me and Jesus is not church. And it's not actually enough. That's what we're told here. We need each other. And we don't just need each other for the interaction that we have, which is nice and good. But for the interaction that we have with Jesus there's this like three-way relationship that's supposed to be going on here that mirrors another three-person relationship, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Trinity, three in one, doing life together. Me, you, and Jesus, were doing life together. We're mirroring the relationship that God has as the Trinity. That's what fellowship looks like, doing life in intimate ways together. The church was created for this sort of fellowship which implies that it gets messy and awkward because we're in each other's business and we know when stuff's going to heck and we know like when we need to speak up and say like, that's not the best thing for you. You shouldn't be eating that sleeve of Oreos every night. You know, whatever it is, I don't know. Probably actually don't call out somebody on the Oreo eating, that might be too much. But whatever it is, you know, speak out. We call each other out, we live life together and we know what's going on church was created for this and fellowship only happens when we're actually living life together you know i had a couple of conversations over the past few weeks that made me think of this Uh, the first one was with somebody who's going through a harder time and we were talking and and i was trying to reinforce that there's people in the church who want to support him and and he looked at me and he laughed at me a little bit and, and he was like oh i know don't worry and it wasn't a dismissive i know it was, no, I know because people have already told me because they know my stories, because they know what's going on. And so they're texting me and they're supporting me and they're asking how I could help. And they were here yesterday and they're doing all these things. I had another conversation with a group of people um, and it got a little a little awkward, like really awkward. And they like got in my face a little bit. There is like this fierceness that came out in a good way. Uh, Because we were talking about small groups and they uh, were talking about their experience together as a small group that summer. And I was like, well, things might change a little bit in the fall. The group might not be the same way. And this fierceness showed up. All of a sudden it was like you let the lion out. And it was like, no this has been good. We've been doing life together and I don't want to break up these relationships because it's been really, really good. And I want to keep doing this. I want to keep digging in because this is bringing me life. Friends, that's what fellowship looks like. Those are the signs of healthy fellowship that is messy, that is intimate, that you're a little territorial over in a good way. That's what doing life together as followers of Jesus looks like. And in a very healthy way, it is super countercultural. That is not what you're told to do with your stuff through Facebook. What was the result of living this way for the early church? What it says in here, it says that they were filled with joy, that they were respected by the community because it looked different than the way everybody else lived. And that people were added to their numbers daily. If that's the fruit of living life in this way, then sign me up. That is the best fruit I've seen in a long, long time. That's really, really good. So let's get practical. How do we move from me to we as followers of Jesus? The first thing I think is that we have to give up our ideal community for the actual real community that you've been placed in. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote, Those who love their dream of a Christian community more than the Christian community itself become destroyers of that community, even though their own personal intentions may be ever so honest, earnest, and sacrificial. You know, often when we talk about an ideal church, people bring up the book of Acts and say, wouldn't it be nice if we could live life the way that they did? Wouldn't it be nice? And I, like sometimes I'm like, are you reading the same book that I am? Because like if we go another page, if we flip pages, people die because of fake generosity. <laughs> like if, if we keep going in this, we'll, we'll find out like really quickly that they were neglecting the poor who didn't look like them because they didn't want to. If we keep going, we're going to find that they got so comfortable in their four walls that they stopped doing what Jesus had asked them to. And so it took severe persecution for them to leave and to go and to bring the good news of Jesus to all people and in all places. Yes, the church in Acts is good. But good churches are super messy. Don't trick yourself into believing otherwise. That's just the reality of doing life together. Friends, ideals can quickly become idols. Drop ideal for real. If you get nothing else this morning, let that sink in. That's truth from Jesus, I think. And this leads to our next step in me to we. We need to stop trying to choose our family and instead embrace the family we've been placed in. You know, uh, over a hundred times in the New Testament, the writers call the, the church brothers and sisters in Christ. And this is, a, you know, honestly, I've heard it used so many times that it's a little awkward. Like, it's been overused at times. You know, like, Brother Dave, good to see you. Sister Sarah, how's it going? And you're like, this is uncomfortable. Nobody calls each other that. Like, so if we could get past the cliche. And we could like, you know, jump past that stage. Now, I'm not saying to go there. Jump past that stage and go, you know, a little bit deeper. And see the initial purpose. I think we would be better uh, for it. Because when we're saved by Jesus, we're born into, we're adopted into a new family. And when we become family, we are bound to one another. We didn't choose this family. We were saved into it. The only choice we have is how we will care for and cultivate these relationships. You don't get to choose your family, as we all know. You don't get to choose this family either. I'm sorry. We're in it together, guys. That's just the reality. But it's good. It's a good reality if we embrace it. Jonathan, who I mentioned, I read his story at the beginning. He finished his article Uh, by talking about his experience having cancer in community. And he said, I've already told some of my friends, when I see you in heaven, there's only one thing I'm going to ask. Were you good to my son and my wife? I want Jackson to wonder why his dad's friends always come over and shoot hoops with him, why they're always inviting him to their houses, why there are so many of them at his games. I hope that he gets sick of them. I think this is such a powerful example of what it looks like to be family as the church. Now, hopefully none of us have the same experience that he has. But I think the invitation in it is the same for each one of us. That we're invited to cultivate the community that we've been given. The family that we've been adopted into. Plenty of times over the next couple of months, we're going to talk about what is church And I think church is a group of surprising people learning to be family and living together in shockingly intimate ways. And as we grow and mature, we bring transformation to our world through the power of the Holy Spirit and the presence of Jesus that follows us. Community is not ideal. And that's good because God's best is a little bit messy. And that's good for us. Let's stand and pray. We're going to worship, and I want to read from Psalm 147 uh, as we kind of transition into this space. It says, Hallelujah. It's a good thing to sing praise to our God. Praise is beautiful, praise is fitting. God's the one who rebuilds, he regathers exiles. He heals the brokenhearted and bandages their wounds. He counts the stars and assigns each a name. Our Lord is great with limitless strength. We'll never comprehend what He does and what He knows and does. He puts the fallen on their feet again and pushes the wicked into a ditch. That's an image for you. Sing to God a thanksgiving hymn. Play music on your instrument to God. Who fills the skies with clouds, preparing the rain for the earth, and then turning the mountains green with grass, feeding both cattle and crows. He's not impressed with horsepower. The size of our muscles mean little to him. Those who fear God get God's attention. They can depend on his strength. Jesus, I thank you that this morning as we go to worship you, that we can we can enter in worshiping a God who is more than we could ever imagine. Whose plans cover more than we could even think about you created ecosystems in details that, that we could never even begin to imagine. I pray that this morning as we worship that we'll encounter that great God that you'll come and speak to our hearts that you'll move in our lives and that your presence will be felt in Jesus name. Amen you <music>